Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Mariah Anderson. Good morning, church. Well, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. We're going to continue our series at the feet of Jesus, which I love this series. How many of you have loved this series? It's been so good. It's been so good. If you would open up your Bibles to chapter 7 in the Gospel of Luke. You have your Bible with you this morning, church? Come on, we don't go to the store without our wallet. We don't go to the gym without our gym shoes. We got to bring our Bibles to church. I don't care if you use your iPhone or you have a paper Bible. Whatever Bible you have will do just fine. If you don't have a Bible, we put it up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We're going to go all the way to verse 50. This is the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt down behind him and at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is who's touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Jesus asked. Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who's been forgiven little only shows a little amount of love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray, and then let's get into this message. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you are the one who forgives us of our sin. Jesus, we thank you that you have something to say to us this morning. God, I pray that you would anoint the words from my mouth. God, that you would do what only you can do. We're anxious to meet with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we see one of the most beautiful expressions of worship in the entire Bible, right? We see the beautiful imagery of the um, perfume poured out on the feet of Jesus and the 
imagery of Jesus' blood poured out for us. There's also a lot of contrast happening in this story. The self-righteous Pharisee versus a sinful woman. The contrast of formal hospitality versus overflowing love. We see self-worth through righteous living versus self-worth through forgiveness. But who is this woman? We don't know her name. We don't know her age. We don't know her background. All we know is that she was sinful, that she's an immoral woman from the town. We can, we can assume that people looked at her with disdain, avoided her company, eyed her with disgrace, whispered about her behind her back. Why is she there? Why did she even show up? Why would you walk into the home of a bunch of haters? Of a bunch of people who are going to shame you, disgrace you, belittle you. You're not going to be wanted. Why would she be there? And yeah, it was customary during the day that when a rabbi would come and preach at a house or sit at a house and talk, that other people would show up because they wanted to hear the gold nuggets that would fall from his lips. So it was customary for people to come and be present at a Pharisee's home when they would have a rabbi present. People wondered if she came to offer a cultural sign of respect and anoint his head and then assume she just lost control of herself when she saw Jesus. I don't think so. I don't think she was there to politely anoint Jesus' head that day. She came prepared. She arrived alone. You know when you gotta do something and you gotta do it alone? You come prepared, she came prepared to respond. She came alone bearing that alabaster jar of perfume, ready to respond, ready to respond. She was, now she's in the same room with Jesus and she's having a moment. Come on, how many of you have had a moment with Jesus? A moment where you just lose yourself, a moment where you can't contain yourself. She's having a moment. She is having a moment. She was uninvited, unwanted, and she's making a scene. In reckless abandonment, not caring about public opinion, compelled, overwhelmed, in over her head. She's breaking tradition. She's violating social norms. From her actions, it seems as if she knows personally of the ministry of Jesus. She's tasted, she's heard, maybe she's been at some of his other teachings, maybe she's heard from the street corners as he preaches that there's a kingdom of heaven, of God is near, repent for your sins, maybe she's heard. It seems like she would have known. She's experienced his ministry personally, his ministry to outcasts, his ministry to the rejected, his ministry to the misfits, to the unacceptable. Maybe, just maybe, maybe she's the woman who is caught in adultery. And she was dragged out in front of the in front of the Pharisees about to be stoned. And she experiences protection and defense. She's not belittled or shamed for her sin. And Jesus reaches down and helps her up and he says, Go and sin no more. But we don't get to see her response. And maybe now, a couple days later, a few weeks later, She's undone by this man's kindness. It's keeping her up at night. This is no ordinary love. This is no ordinary man. And then it hits her like a, like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, he's God. He's God. He's God. He's God. And look 
comes unglued. And she knows he's going to be at the house of the Pharisees. And she has this urge to respond. Respond to him. There was no other way for this woman to have had a revelation about who Jesus was. She could not have got it from the law. The law would not have given her a revelation of the forgiveness of her sins. You could only go and make sacrifices for your sin. The law did not forgive you of your sin. But she had a personal encounter with Jesus. So she boldly enters the house of the Pharisees, speechless. She drew closer, then she stands behind him, weeping at his feet, each tear making a dark brown mark on the dust of his feet. Until his feet are wet with tears, tears of sorrow for her sin, tears of gratitude for his goodness, tears of joy for his compassion and mercy. Passionately, she pours that perfume, that exotic perfume. The scent fills the room. She kneels at his feet and she takes out her hair. She lets her hair down and she begins to wipe his feet, washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. You see, Jewish women, mm -mm, they don't let their hair down. Jewish women would have had their hair tied up, covered up. So when she pulls out her hair and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, she's saying, Jesus is like my husband. Because the only person a Jewish woman could have let her hair down was in front of her husband. She's saying, this is the one I love. This is the one my soul loves. This is the one who rescued me, redeemed me. I love him, I love him, I love him. And she wipes his feet with her hair. In ancient Greek, the word worship means to lay down before and to go in for a kiss. I love that. You're going in for a kiss full of expectation of being received. Gently, she wipes his feet with her hair as if time stands still. She's so caught up in her moment with him, unaware of everybody gawking at her. This woman gave everything to Jesus. Not only did she give this expensive perfume, which might have been the most expensive thing that she owned, she's in intimate moment with him, just totally exposed before him. You see, nothing is too extravagant for Jesus. Come on, nothing you can offer to Jesus is too extravagant for him. No praise too loud, no praise too boisterous, no shout too loud, no prayer too big, no offering too big. It's not too extravagant for Jesus. When we worship, we're called to an intimate, deeply personal expression of passion. Come on, when we worship, we are called to an intimate, deeply personal expression of passion. Passion is simply our unapologetic willingness and enthusiasm to respond. Your unapologetic willingness to respond with enthusiasm. This is how we worship. I love this church because I see that in you, church. When we worship and I hear, I hear it from the back of the room moving forward like a mighty wave of worship and praise. You guys are doing a good job, but there's more. There's more. It demands nothing less than your whole self, your entire personhood, your life, poured out, utterly ex exposed before the one you love. We are like this woman. We are like her. Our sins are many, and they are just as ugly and just as numerous as hers. 
Now, was the woman's sin forgiven before she went to Simon's house? Or was it at the point when Jesus pronounces her forgiven? I think she came with that perfume. I think she came with her response because she knew. She had already reached out in faith. She had already accepted the forgiveness of God. She came to respond of his great love for her. She pours it back onto him. She knew she was forgiven. So she worships. She comes out of gratitude. She comes out of love. She knew true worship comes when you understand what you've been forgiven of. True worship originates when you understand and you stand in miraculous wonder that he forgave me, chief of sinners. Put yourself in that position that you are the chief of sinners. Don't compare yourself and your sin to somebody else's sin. Just stand in miraculous wonder that he chose to forgive you. He chose to forgive me. I respond and worship to that. I am forgiven. I have been set free. I have been rescued, redeemed, and saved. I am a new creation. What is our response to his mercy and his compassion? What is our response to the great forgiveness that he has offered us? Does it get us excited anymore? Does it wake us up anymore? Do we come unglued in his presence because of how much we've been forgiven? Because even though we say we love Jesus, our love threatens to grow cold when the familiar becomes taken for granted and neglected. Then Jesus turns to Simon and he's like, oh boy, I'm coming for you. He's like, I'm going to tell you a story, Simon. I'm going to tell you a story. There was two people, they owed this guy some money. Let's keep it simple. One was bigger than the other. Who loves, who is forgiven more? Who's going to love me more? Who's going to love that forgiver more? Simon, like this, you know, schoolboy that he is, the one with the bigger debt. Simple questions, right? Jesus goes on to compare Simon's action as a host to the sinful woman's acts of love and honor. He's setting Simon up. He says, I came to your house, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered your house, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not give me the courtesy of olive oil for my head, yet she has anointed my feet with this perfume. And I can imagine Simon's reaction to this. It puts him in a bad light, doesn't it? It exposes him for the unenthusiastic host that he is. Simon is hosting Jesus and doesn't have the common decency to offer him courtesies. He's an unenthusiastic host. But why? Simon, Simon doesn't see himself as a sinner. So why should he need his forgiveness anyways? Simon's actions showed little love because he didn't think he had anything to be forgiven of. He had earned his righteousness. He was good all by himself. He didn't need any forgiveness. Yet the woman who lavishes her love on Jesus knows what she's been forgiven of, so she loves big. And this was Jesus' point the whole time. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Church, we don't ever want to fall to the perspective that we haven't been forgiven a lot. <laughs> that we don't want to fall to the perspective that we have been only forgiven a little. 
We're like, oh yeah, way back then in my youth when I used to be a sinner, Jesus rescued me. No, today he rescued me. Yesterday he rescued me. Tomorrow he's going to rescue me. Ten years from now he's keep on rescuing me. We can't stand in our past and look like that's the thing he rescued us from. Otherwise, our worship and our response will go little and small. We got to allow the passion of being forgiven much to fill our worship, to fill our life, to fill our perspective. Because we've all been like Simon. We lose track of what's important. We lose sight of what's important. Revelation 2.4 says, but I have this against you. This is to the church at Ephesus, who, the church that looked good on paper. But he says, this is what I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You see, we're standing at the, on the path, and we see two, two trails we could take. One of the self-righteous Pharisee, perfect behavior, trying to measure up self-righteousness, knowledge about God without any relationship with God. Dead religion, judgment, criticism, or the path of the woman. Freedom. Freedom, true forgiveness, reckless abandonment. Come on, how do we make a shift? It's at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus, you remember when God first awakened your soul. It's at the feet of Jesus that you remember that you were rescued, restored, redeemed. It's at the feet of Jesus that you remember when you went from an orphan to being a son, when you went from a dead sinner to a new creation. It's at the feet of Jesus that you remember that you used to be an enemy of God and left to yourself, you would be turned to be his enemy again. We got to get at the feet of Jesus so that we can remember the amazing grace that we have, that we found. But once I was lost, but now I'm found. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it's by grace that you have been saved, not, through, not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. And the beauty of this woman's expression is that she was caught up in a moment when she realized, he loves me even though I'm a sinner. And this led her to repentance. Repentance is so good. It feels so good. Like, a, like you know when you go to the dentist and they lay that heavy jacket on you to take x-rays? And then they take it off? Like, oh, I've been walking around with this thing on my whole life, and then I repent, and it's like 100 pounds has been lifted off my chest. This is what repentance does. And this leads her to repentance for her sins. His love, his loving kindness leads her to repentance for her sin. And then she honors him with these acts of love. Romans 5, 8 tells us, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, genuine worship knows no limits. It's unashamed. It's withholding nothing. And sincere repentance and sincere worship does not care about public opinion. It's all right to get a little sobby up in here when Jesus is touching your life. When you're having a moment with Jesus, it's okay if you have snot bubbles coming out of your, rose, out of your nose or your mascara runs a little bit. Get after it. There's more to Jesus. There's always more, and I want the more of Jesus. I think we're a church who desires the more of Jesus. So Jesus asked Simon a really important question. He says, Simon, do you see this woman kneeling here? 
Look at this woman. How hard is it to look into the eyes of somebody that makes you uncomfortable? Simon had seen her. Oh, yeah. He saw her with his eyes. He saw her from his own status. He saw her from his prejudices. He saw her for her past. He saw her for her sin. But Jesus is saying, Simon, do you see this woman? Women were basically like invisible, mind you, during this time. But he's saying, Simon, do you see this person? Do you see this moment? Do you see what's happening here? Simon, look at this woman. Look what she's doing. Or do you just see her sin? We don't want to be like Simon and just see people through self-righteous and arrogance and with judgment and criticism and just see them for their sin. We're going to miss the person completely. We cannot become a church that just sees people for their sin. We got to see the person, see ourselves in that person. We were once like this woman. We were once sinners. Now we've been set free. We can't become like Simon who just is quick to judge through a lens of criticism, judging those who are easily irritating us, inconveniencing us, whose sin, while is different from ours, is not worse. We're going to miss the person completely. I think that we can tend to be a little bit like threatened by sin, afraid of sin. If we get a little bit too close to that sin or that person, oh, that sinner, like their sin is going to jump up on us and stain our righteousness. Like that sin is some type of communicable disease that we're going to catch. Now, I'm not saying hang out with shady people. But Jesus wasn't afraid of her sin. Jesus was unthreatened by her sin. Church, we cannot be afraid of other people's sin. The church should be like a hospital for sin. We should, be, we should have lots of people who are still working through their mess. We are all still working through our mess. That's why we belong at the feet of Jesus. He came for those who had a mess to clean up. But he, didn't ha- he did not withhold his presence. He did not withhold his gaze, even though she was still where she was at, right? Jesus was unthreatened by her sin, unthreatened by its effects. You see, Jesus was perfectly comfortable with those of unsavory reputation. Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, he says to them, probably the Pharisees, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call those who think they are, who do not think that they are righteous, but know that they are sinners. The Passion Translation says it like this. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call those who fail to measure up. If you're like me, one of your biggest fears is that you'll fail to measure up. And Jesus came for us. It's so good. You see, Jesus had something in common with this woman, I think. Not sin, but he knew what it was like to be ridiculed. He knew what it was like to be the continual object of cutting criticism, insults, being shunned by society's most respected people. So he has more in common with this sinful woman 
he sees maybe even a piece of himself in her, more so than the Pharisee. Because his entire ministry was to break the bondage of self-righteousness and to befriend sinners. So he was rejected for it. He knew what it was like to be rejected. Matthew eleven nineteen says, Yet when the Son of Man came and went to feast and drank wine, you said, Look at this man. He is nothing but a glutton and a drunkard. He spends all of his time with tax collectors and other affluent sinners. But Jesus was not ashamed to be with this woman. He was not embarrassed by her display of affection. And I just tell you, church, Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. Get a little wild. Get a little crazy in worship to him. Pour it all out. He's not going to be embarrassed. And if you have a rough reputation, a tattered reputation, a little shady past, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Hey, if your president is a little shady, he's not ashamed of you. He loves you. He wants to meet you. He wants to be with you. You see, he welcomed her. He welcomed her touch. He met her gaze. It wasn't difficult for Jesus to look right into her eyes. He allowed her to be in his company. He called her forgiven. He calls her forgiven. Jesus says to this woman, therefore I tell you, her and her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And in this moment, she goes from being a sinner to identified as forgiven. From being unseen to being seen. From being unknown to being set into history as one of the Bible's greatest examples of passion and worship. It changed her life forever. She didn't know that in one moment of reckless abandonment in response to this man of great mercy that she'd be put into history as an example for the rest of the church for all time to come to worship with abandonment, to worship unrestrained, to get uncontained. She didn't know. She was just undone in his presence. You see, forgiveness is not just a one-time event. You can live it over and over and over, reminding yourself what you've been forgiven of. But it's also an environment, a lifestyle that the church, that the people of God can create for others. Because other people out there, other people maybe who are not here, maybe you're here today and you need to know this. But people need the security of knowing that they can blow it and still be loved. That they can be totally forgiven with nothing held over their heads. And this is how Jesus responds to us. That while we were still sinners, he loved us, that he died for us, that he poured himself out, that he emptied himself out. That while we were still enemies, he came for us, that he gave up all of his divine rights, walked humbly amongst us as a human, and then died, poured out his blood so that there would be a way for us to come into heaven to be with him again. This is how much he's desperate to be with you, to be with me. He's reckless. He gave up all of his divine rights put on flesh, moved into the neighborhood, came and got messy because he loved us. And this world needs to know that they can respond to a God like that, that they can be forgiven from a God like that. 
See, Jesus preferred this display of overflowing love more than Simon's polite hospitality, his formal hospitality. And I just want to encourage you and stir you up a little bit this morning. You know, she shows her love with acts of honor, yet sometimes we come in on a Sunday and we're controlled and polite in his presence. We're a little self-conscious about getting out from behind our chairs, a little bit afraid that we might mess up our makeup, a little bit afraid that other people might see us worshiping without restraint. Are we an unenthusiastic host of his presence? I hope not. We can be a little hesitant, but she was unashamed because he deserved it. He deserves it, church. His love makes it worth it all. His love makes it worth it all. Whatever, whatever need you have, whatever the cry of your heart is, he's worth it. Pour it out on him. In your great response to Jesus because he loved you first. Give it all back. Hold nothing back. Get a little messy. Let's respond to what he's done for us. In view of what he's done for us, in view, in light of all that he's paid for us, let's come undone. Let's declare to him, you're the one I love. You're the one I love. You're the one I love. There's none like you. There's none like you. Ephesians 5.1 tells us to imitate God, therefore, in everything we do, because we are his children. It says, live a life of love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself up as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. And when you worship him, church, when you let yourself get poured out like that, you're being like Jesus, a pleasing aroma to God. Romans 12, 1 says, dear children, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I have not responded to this Jesus. And this is no ordinary love. This is no ordinary man. And the revelation is starting to hit you. He's God. He's God and he loves me. He's God and he loves me. I could be forgiven. I could have the same story as her. If he could love her, maybe he could love me. Can I tell you a story? When I was like in the sixth grade, maybe going into seventh grade, I had a moment that changed my life forever. I was sitting in a room not much different from this with a group of my friends, and somebody was saying, Jesus, Jesus paid the price for your sin so that you could spend eternity with him. They were telling us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And it just takes a moment, and like that, that heavy weight that you've been carrying around with you for years and years and years can be lifted. And I was a sixth grader, so I didn't think my sin was much. But the Spirit of God hit me. Hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm like, I can't even contain myself. And I'm looking at my friends. Nobody else is having any response. I'm like, I'm a crazy person. He's God. He's God. And I'm like freaking out. And I'm like asking my friend next to me, uh, do we respond to this? Like I'm on the edge of my seat, and I can barely, you know, say seating. But I'm having a moment. 
And I'm like, she's like, well, I already got saved, whatever. If you haven't, you should probably do something. I'm like, okay. And I jump up out of my seat and I run. I don't walk. I cannot contain myself. I run. I run to the feet of Jesus. I fill this altar. Nobody was there yet. I was like crazy person. I was like, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And I'm like on my knees and I'm weeping and weeping and weeping. And I'm like, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. <laughs> He loves me. This I am sure of. This I am confident of. Because in a room of a billion people, and in a row of people who are having nothing happening, I was having a moment where I came unglued in his presence. Because I needed him. I needed to be rescued. You need to be rescued. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Your sin will separate you for eternity. And if you're here today and you do not know, you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity to respond right now. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're having a moment like that with Jesus, do not, do not stay still. Put your hand in the air and I want to pray for you. If you're having a moment with Jesus and you want to respond to his great love for you, maybe you just need to rededicate your life, return back to your first love. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Do I see your hand? Just pray this with me, church. Jesus. You are God, and I love you. I need you to save me. I accept the forgiveness of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I will never be the same again. Change me, Lord, from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. God has poured out his blood like precious perfume, church. And we get the chance this morning to pour our worship back onto him like a pleasing aroma. Let's respond. Will you stand with me? Let's respond to the great love of God because he's worth it this morning, church. He is so worship. He's so worth it. So let's worship. Let's worship together. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.